even if you don't feel like you have a voice, you do. Someone will always be willing to listen. What is going on, everyone? Emily Avadi here. You are listening to episode 227 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential and, of course, have some fun along the way. For episode 227, I am chatting with pro soccer player Sydney LaRue. She talks to us today about moving from Canada to the United States to pursue her dream of playing soccer and making the U.S. women's national team to play with the best of the best, ultimately becoming an Olympic gold medalist and World Cup champion. The mother of two opens up about her first pregnancy being a big surprise and what it felt like to both play soccer at five and a half months pregnant and then get back in the game 93 days after having her second child, Rue. She also opens up about the difficult hurdle moments that she has faced, including a miscarriage and what it felt like to share that openly on social media, plus the abuse and bullying she experienced from a young age in sport, abuse that she hopes future generations of athletes will not have to go through. I cannot thank Sydney enough for her openness and transparency here. I am so impressed by her positivity, her attitude, and truly, I mean, this is a superwoman, a single mom of two, doing her best to be a badass both on and off the field. It's a big week here in New York City. The New York City Marathon is this coming Sunday. I'm going to be popping up all over this week, hosting a few events. I hope to see you out there, and I definitely hope to cheer you on if you are running this coming weekend. If you have a great story about why you run and you are lacing up on Sunday, I want to hear it. I'd love to feature you in the weekly Hurdle newsletter to submit yourself for a hurdler spotlight, click on over to the show notes and give us all your deets. Also, while you're in the show notes, make sure to check out the deals from Hurdle's great sponsors. This week we have Future and Whoop. And feel free to leave me a voice message. Hit me up with a listener question. I love answering your questions weekly in the five minute Friday segment on the show. And I can only keep doing that if you keep submitting them. So hit me with your best shot. I'm ready for it. Make sure you're following Hurdle on social over at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Sydney LaRue. She is a professional soccer player. How are you doing today, Sid? I'm good. How are you? 
I'm so good. I'm excited that we're making this happen. I feel like I right off the bat went in with a nickname. Do you have any other nicknames that people call you frequently? No, I think everyone just calls me Sid. Just Sid. (laughs) Mommy. Oh my God. I mean, speaking of mommy, two kids at home, how does that feel for you these days? Yeah, it's crazy. Like sometimes I just am like, I can't believe I, I have two kids. (laughs) Like, they're just like, it's crazy to me. And they're wild and chaotic, and life is always chaotic, and I love it. And how old are your kiddos? My son just turned six, and my daughter's three and a half. Oh my gosh. And so, three and a half, you are back on the field. How does that feel for you? Coming back from my daughter was tough. Um, I mean, coming back from both the kids was tough, but. I think it's so worth it because I love having the kids just like come on the field with me and like see their mommy play. And it's just been the best thing ever. Um, I got injured mid season. So season ended a little early for me, but I'm really excited to get back there next season and play in LA. And play in LA and new to LA. I know for a while you were kind of wondering like what was going to be next for you. Was LA already feeling like home? Yeah, LA is like, I consider LA home to me. I went to UCLA, so I'm like back and I'm a West Coast girl. So it's it's very nice to be back on the West Coast for sure. Your kids growing up with a superstar soccer mom, you too grew up with pretty athletic parents. Talk to us about what it was like growing up in an active family. Yeah, um, my mom, you know, I I think that I like find so much strength and in my mom it was me and my mom when I grew up and I remember her just like taking me outside and going into the backyard and just playing all we did was play sports and I feel like that's what I do with with my son specifically my daughter's not not very athletic which I love from her but um (laughs) I have just always been used to you know being outside with my mom and like my mom being so present in all of my sports and I was so thankful for that and you don't realize like how much it means to you until you're older and you're doing it yourself (laughs) and I feel like yeah I just it reminds me of you know me and my mom being out there when I'm out there with with my kids so it's been really really special it's funny that you say like my daughter at three and a half isn't super athletic. Do you think that your mom ever thought that about you? No, <laughs> never. <laughs> never. So was, you were, you were going after it from a young age. Yes. Yes. Ever, ever <laughs> since I could walk. Yeah. Not just active from a young age, you knew from a young age that you definitely wanted to pursue an ultimate goal of being on the U S women's national team. Talk to me about how you knew. I think it was, you know, there was like so many things, but I, I knew that I wanted to play on the best team in the world. And, you know, a lot of things had happened in my hometown and it was just like the perfect time for me to go and follow those dreams. And so when I was 14, I packed my bags and I, you know, basically left everything that I knew and I went and I went and lived in the States and lived in a bunch of different homes with teammates or people who played for my club team. Um, And it was a pretty wild, (laughs) wild couple years, but um, it was, it was definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. Club team. So you were, you were used to pretty early on making some big 
let's call it sacrifices for sport, because when you are, you know, going after it and and traveling a bit, that can come with a, a fair amount of, yeah, of sacrifice. Yes. I've basically all my life, I've been just making insane sacrifices to, you know, follow my dreams or have the life that I've always wanted. Yeah, I was 14. And I, I can't imagine like my kids, my kids leaving. And my mom and I talk about that all the time. Like, that was crazy back then. <laughs> Do you think that you kind of missed out on having like that conventional teenage experience when you kind of reflect on it now? Yeah, I I think so. Like I think about like being home with my friends and like having a normal kind of like high school situation. But I also don't feel like I was normal. Like I, I wanted, that's what I wanted. That was my dream. And I was very like, uh, nothing was going to stop me. So when I look back at it, I'm like, I still think it was pretty crazy. and, And my mom says the same, but I don't think I would do anything differently because things happened the way that I wanted them to. But I do feel like, yeah, there was definitely some sadness and and missing out on some things. Um, I definitely missed my mom a lot. I missed my friends, my family. But I also think that, you know, I did. I set out to do something and and I was able to do that. Yeah. And when you reflect now, like remembering those early days of soccer, was there any one thing in particular that had you just hooked in on the sport? Um, I think scoring goals. I like, I loved to score goals. I loved to slide tackle. I was doing slide tackles like when I was like four or five. And I remember, you know, my mom was one of those like crazy parents on the sideline and I was never embarrassed. (laughs) Like I just thought it was normal, but my mom would be like behind the other like goal like screaming at me, kick it here, kick it here. And then I got old enough. And then they told her that she could no longer do that. <laughs> yeah, She got <laughs> kicked out behind the goal. But yeah, I just like remember those, those moments. And I think, yeah, it's just like been such a crazy journey for me. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's wild to think back on actually. It's it's also wild to think about you being excited about that level of I don't know if there's a better word for it than confrontation. You <laughs> had in you a breaking through kind of attitude, this attitude that you were a little bit invincible. Do you think that your mom brought you up and raised you to to believe in that? Yeah, 100 percent. I think. I mean, my mom made me believe that I could do anything I wanted, that I could be anyone I wanted to be. Um, And I think that's like such a special thing to have. And I hope, you know, I I hope I do that for my kids. Just allow them to be whoever they want to be. Allow them to be whatever they want to be. So you mentioned, obviously, wanting to pursue playing for the U.S. women's national team at a young age. You also went to play college soccer at UCLA from 2008 to 2011. What do you remember being one of the most difficult parts of being a college athlete? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question. You know, I was in I was in. Scottsdale, Arizona for high school. And I just never felt like I fit in there. 
And I remember being like very sad when, when my really good friend left to go to UCLA because that's who I lived with. And I just like loved her. I loved her family. I just felt so connected to them. And then she went and it was just like kind of back to square one of feeling like I didn't belong here. And I didn't know if this is what I wanted to do. And it was, it was a really hard time to be honest. And I just remember my mom being like, you're going to go to college soon and it's going to be different for you. And like, just wait, just wait until you get to college. And I got to college and I was like, this is where I was meant to be. Like, I, I just felt like I was like thriving um, in that environment. And not to say that it was always easy with coaches and everything like that, but I really just like found myself in college. Yeah. Why would you say that you felt that way about growing up in Arizona? What was it about that that made you feel like you just didn't really fit in the color of my skin the amount of money that I had I was not by any means a Scottsdale girl um, I just was living with with families there but yeah I just kind of always always felt that and it's just it was just a different feeling and and I don't remember feeling that way when I was at home but Scottsdale I, I did feel that yeah so you get to UCLA and needless to say, you definitely start to see a lot more people that look like you then. Yes. Yes, absolutely. How did that feel? Oh, like a breath of fresh air. <laughs> um, yeah. Like I just really like came into my own and I was confident and I was happy. And, you know, when you grow up and there's not people who look like you and you, you feel different, you don't want to be that way. And so then when I got into UCLA, I was like, that's, I, I was proud of myself and I felt like that was a huge change for me. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the difficult parts of being a student athlete, you know, I had uh, Victoria Garrick on the show and, and she's spoken so openly about the mental health struggles that a lot of student athletes face trying to find some kind of balance between schoolwork and sport. Did you struggle with that and also the expectations placed upon you as a student athlete? Not really. I feel like the school part wasn't that difficult. And like, also I was with the national team. I was with the youth national team. Like I was in classes that I didn't have to necessarily be there. Like there were like, it was set up for like us to succeed. Um, and it's not the same for everyone, but I, I felt like the school part was, wasn't too bad. Yeah. Yeah. And then what about when it came to practice and being on the field? See, there's, I, there's nothing that I love more than, than being able to just play. Um, and so that part for me, I mean, the partying and, and having fun was one thing, but, um, being just being able to be on the field and, and play with my friends and, and do all that. Um, you know, I, I basically went through college looking up to Lauren Cheney, who's now Lauren holiday, and we've continued to be such good friends. And so I had a lot of good people and good friends around me in college. And you knew even during college that that was still just the beginning. Yeah, there were some times where I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But I feel like I always had this that I wasn't going to not let that happen. Like I, I was going to do everything in my power to 
you know, I set out to do this. I gave up way too much to not do exactly what I came here to do. Yeah. In those, I don't knows, what do you think was the trigger for that? Coaches, you know, I, I feel like not every coach is going to like you. And sometimes you can do well and do all of the things that you need to do. And they still don't, you know, don't give you that confidence. And I feel like having to find that confidence within yourself is like what, what makes or breaks you because coaches can break you and coaches do break you. And you have to be able to come out of that and figure it out on your own. And so I did a lot of that and I, you know, I continue to do a lot of that. (laughs) And so you, you leave college and you do it in style because you're the number one pick in the 2012 draft. What did that feel like for you? It was awesome. I thought it was going to be really cool. And then the league folded. So it was like I was the first round draft pick and then I wasn't. And so um, that's just my luck, of course. Uh, but then I went on and I went to an Olympics in London and we won that, um, which was really special. And then after the Olympics, my mom really wanted me to go back to school and finish. And so I did that and I graduated from UCLA continued on with the national team and went to a world cup and won a world cup. And then, you know, I had my babies. You are, you just like tried to breeze through such like a grand, like a large time period. I just would not be the right person to let you do that. So can we rewind and talk a little bit about the Olympics? Yes. I mean, hi, Olympian. And at such a young age, when you reflect on that experience, are there any standout memories for you? Yeah. I mean, I had my mom there. I had, you know, the girls that I and the family that I lived with in Arizona, who I felt just so connected to. Um, who I followed to UCLA. Uh, I was there with Lauren Chaney. Um, It was just, it was such an unbelievable experience, Um, especially to see like all of the best athletes ever, just like in one place was really cool. And then to win, to go there and win. It was like, I mean, we, we expect nothing less, but like still, you know, to go there and to, to stand on the podium and to like, have the gold medal around your neck was, yeah, really, really amazing. Going back to uh, finish college after that, I would imagine that it felt maybe a little anticlimactic. Yes, it was. I, to be (laughs) honest, I did not want to go back. That was the last thing that I wanted to do, but like, I only had a couple more classes and credits to like finish out. And so I was like, fine, mom, I'll go back to school. (laughs) Fine, mom. So you graduate college and then you take on uh, a new shift going to play in Boston, right? Yes. Yes. Then I go to Boston. Big Mm -hmm. shift from UCLA. Yes. Yes. Very (laughs) cold. I got there. It was freezing. There was snow on the ground. We like could barely practice. It was a situation over there. Yes. (laughs) A situation. And thus kind of begins like the next few years of you bouncing around to Boston then Seattle, then New York during these times, as you're kind of coming up in age, do you start to think about like how this kind of lifestyle with your career will play into the bigger picture of your overall life? 
No, you know, I was, I always just kind of went with the flow. I just, you know, I change was normal for me. Chaos was normal for me. Living out of my suitcase was normal. Um, And so I never really like ever thought like, oh, this is, this is pretty crazy. I've lived in all of these places. I've done all of these things. Like I never, I never like really came to me. (laughs) I just kept kept going, just kept moving, kept doing different things. And yeah, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it all. So where do you meet your husband? I meet my husband. Um, one of my really good friends, Christy, she was in Kansas city when I was in, I don't, I think I was in Boston. It was 2013 when we met. Uh, Boston was playing Kansas City and we all went out and Christy was like, I have to introduce you to this guy. I think you guys would really like each other. And so she introduced us and yeah, we like were friends, but nothing like came of it. I was in a relationship and that relationship was not good when I got there and I was in Chicago and I'm like, oh my God, I have to get out of here. Like the only flight out is to Kansas City because it's late. And I'm like, who do I know in Kansas City? Dom. I'm going to call Dom. (laughs) And I'm like, hey, I am in a situation here. Like, can you come pick me up at the airport and I'll leave like and go back to L.A. tomorrow? But I like I got to go. And he's like, sure. And that was that was that basically. (laughs) Hey, um, I'm going to come stay at your place. I hope that's okay with you. Yeah. I just need a, need a place to stay because I need to get out of here. And I'm like, I don't know why I didn't just like get a hotel and like, wait, I don't, I don't know. Obviously she was not thinking clearly. I don't know. Or was she thinking clearly? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) And so you fast forward through all this bouncing around and you bring us to the point where not only you get married, but then the two of you decide that you want to start a family. Can you talk us through your thought process on career versus pregnancy and where you stood at that time? Well, yeah, I, we were not trying to have a baby at that time. Um, I was in, I was in, um, national team camp, January camp, which is like a big, big camp. We were getting ready for, for qualifying. Um, and like, I was just sleeping. Like I could not like stay awake. I was going to bed at like six and like, I was sleeping like 16 hours. Like I did not know what was going on. And all of a sudden I was just like, this is like so weird. And I didn't even really like, I just like said it, like, I'm going to go take a pregnancy test. Like I was passing one of my best friends in the hall. Her name's Allie Krieger. And I was like, <laughs> she was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to go take a pregnancy test. And she was like, ha ha, like whatever. And so I went and I came back and I don't even think I told Dom and I peed on this little stick and I left it and I kind of forgot about it because I was getting ready for practice. And I go back to the bathroom and it says pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> um, so I called Krieger and I was like, you need to come to my room now. And she like walked in and like my face was white as a ghost and her face was white as a ghost. And I was like, I'm pregnant. And then <laughs> I called Dom and we literally just didn't even say anything. We just like stared at each other on FaceTime. 
and we were like uh okay i don't know <laughs> i don't know so i called my mom and i told her and she was like oh my god like what and i'm like yeah what and i really just like I needed a second because I didn't know, like I wasn't ready for that. But at the same time, like I was not in a really good place. And my mom called me and she was like, you know, maybe this baby is the best thing ever. And I was like, okay, okay, let's do it. And so I went through with it and I got Cassius. And I'm like getting emotional. <laughs> oh, I love Cassius's name. You read that in a book? Yeah, I found it in a book when my mom and I went to Italy. And yeah, I it was the best, best like, decision I ever made. And it's so special reflecting on that now, thinking about, although it was unexpected to have this beautiful son especially knowing that you had some struggles the second time yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, and like, that's the thing is I got pregnant on accident and, you know, it was like the best accident ever, but I was not meaning to do that. And I was also on birth control but we were traveling around. We had just had our honeymoon. And so like I wasn't taking it at the right time and like things were all messed up. And so I think that's how that happened. And so then that pregnancy was so easy. And then I was like, okay, I, I want another one. And, you know, we try one time and I'm pregnant <laughs> and I'm like, this is easy. Like, you know, I'm healthy. I'm young. Like there's no issues. And I never even like, I was naive. I never even thought that like that was even a possibility. And then it was, and I found out I was pregnant on July 4th. And then I lost the baby like sometime in August and it was awful. I mean, anyone who's been through that before, it's like the worst pain. Like it's awful uh, losing a child or having a miscarriage. I mean, it's, it's brutal. Um, and so I was like, the only way I'm ever going to feel better is like, I, I got to get back. Like we got to like try again. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I tried again and I got pregnant and, um, Rue's due date was July 4th. And it was hmm. the day that I found out that I was pregnant. Yeah. Um, so it was, a pretty like amazing story, but I will say going through Rue's pregnancy, it was so stressful because everything was just like, Oh, you know, is this going to happen again? Is this going to mm -hmm. happen? Is she going to be okay? Um, and so that, I think that pregnancy for me was, was really tough. And I think, you know, anyone who's been through a miscarriage, like the pregnancy, the rest of the pregnancies you have, um, are, are very different. I believe the statistic is, about 10 to 15 in 100 pregnancies end in miscarriage. And then one in 100 women experience recurrent miscarriages. So that anxiety, certainly not 
um, not unwarranted. And during that time, did you feel alone in your struggle or did you find community at all with other women who have been through similar experiences? Um, I had my team around me, which was really nice. Um, they knew that I was pregnant and it was in like the middle to end of the season and I had to step away. Um, and then, you know, I, I had lost the baby and like, there's something about a team and, and your people and your close friends that, yeah, they just kind of brought me back and, and they were there for me. Um, but, you know, we don't really talk about miscarriage that much. Um, it's it's getting better now and, and people are talking about it. But um, I remember like, you know, I wanted to talk about it right away because I'm like, I did not know that this was like one in four. You know, I, I didn't know that. And especially having like a, a really easy pregnancy with Cassius, I, I, like I said, I was naive. To go through that then and deal with the anxiety, do you remember any of the strategies that you used to kind of cope when it felt like that was beyond your control? Um, that if it was meant to be, it was going to happen. Mm. Um, and if it wasn't, then something was wrong it's out of my control and I can only do so much, you know, it's like, I felt like I lived in like a glass house. Like I just like, I was scared of everything. I was like, I don't, I can't work out. I can't do this. I can't do that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I got through it and, um, you know, I, I started getting back to working out and, and doing things that made me feel like me. Um, because, you know, for the first little bit, uh, I did not, feel like me. Did it feel freeing when you opened up about that on social? I mean, to yeah. think about the amount of people that have kind of access to you being yeah. the way that the platform is. Yeah, I I was definitely nervous and I didn't know if it was the right thing to talk about, but I'm very happy that I did. A lot of people, you know, come and say like me too. Yeah, that happened to me. That happened to me. That happened to me. And so that was you know, it was like a, a safe space because so many people tell you me too. And you don't even realize. Isn't that what's so interesting about social media? Like at times it can be such like a beautiful connection opportunity. And then other times, like it just makes you so frustrated that you want to walk away entirely. Yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah. Social media is, is, is crazy. Uh, <laughs> one, you know, one day they're with you and the next they're not and there's crazy people. But yeah, I think in, in that moment for that specific um, situation with, with my miscarriage, um, I think that was really important to, to speak up and, and have a platform and be able to talk about that. Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about my sponsors. First up, Future. What's the best workout program? Well, I would say that, that is one that is custom built just for you. Future is the new workout experience that pairs you one-on-one -on -one with your own fitness coach. You'll get unlimited personal training and all the support that you need to stay on track. Your coach will map out a plan based on your goals, build the workouts to get you there, and keep you accountable every day. Future, your Apple Watch, and the app all pair seamlessly to allow you to track metrics like calories burned and heart rate. Together, you and your coach can track your progress, celebrate achievements, and tune your routine to perfection. 
Listen, I have been using Future for some time now. I recently re-upped myself working with my guy, Brandon, and he has got me motivated, helping me to work toward my personal goals at the moment, which really focus on feeling stronger in my body. I'm dealing with a few injuries at the moment, and it just feels so good to have someone in my corner who has my back and can really customize things on a day-by-day basis depending on what is happening with me and my body. I am loving using the Future app and trust me, I have a feeling you will too. Get started right now with your first month of Future for just $19 at tryfuture.com slash hurdle. Again, that is tryfuture.com slash hurdle. Your first 30 days are risk-free and you can cancel at any time for a full refund. Also got to give some love to my friends at Whoop. I have been wearing my Whoop strap since April of 2019, and I honestly cannot imagine my life without it. Now, for those of you that may be unfamiliar, Whoop is a fitness wearable and companion app that specializes in breaking down your recovery, sleep, and workouts. Now, every single morning, the app breaks down my sleep along with other key health metrics like resting heart rate. And then based on that, Whoop gives me a daily recovery score from zero to 100%. So I know exactly how ready my body is to take on the day. You can really think of it as a coach on your wrist providing you with your daily plan. The data is completely personalized to you. The longer that you wear your Whoop, like I said, I've been wearing mine since April 2019, the smarter the algorithms and coaching feedback get. The app does all the fitness tracking that you'd expect, but also specializes in breaking down your recovery and sleep, which is truly what I lean into it for. You can track the quality and the quantity of your sleep and other breakdowns like sleep consistency and latency. I love Whoop because it helps me prioritize the positive routines in my life and the data around the negatives has helped me cut out some of the habits that hurt my sleep and recovery. I am simply in love with my Whoop and I know that you will be too. Start tracking your health, wellness, and fitness at a deeper level today. Head on over to Whoop.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com, and use code HURDLE to save 10% on your order. Again, that is code HURDLE at checkout to save 10% on your Whoop order today. And I'm so sure that sharing your struggle was such a help for so, so many. Now, let's talk about what it was like for you to go through pregnancy, have your babies, and get back to sport. What was that like for you? Well, I had postpartum depression after Cassius. That, I think, brought on a lot of anxiety about like who I was going to be and if I could come back and what that looked like. With Cassius, I I would say that it was a little more difficult because I just didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know like what my body was going to do, but I was able to come back and, you know, I I scored my first goal of the first game and I was like, okay, I can do this. And, you know, he's in the crowd and, and that was really, really special. And then with Rue, I like... Uh, because I lost the baby before I was like, well, 
I was supposed to have this baby and I was supposed to come back this season. And now I'm having this baby like super late in the season. And I don't know, like if people are expecting me to come back, but I'm coming back, I'm going to play, I'm going to play the season. And so I played my first game 93 days after giving birth to her. Yeah. And you also played in March, 2019 at six months pregnant. I'm sure on both sides of the coin, people had something to say about you playing pregnant and you coming back, quote unquote, too soon. Talk me through that. Comments were awful when I was playing. I mean, I think that they thought that I was like slide tackling and like playing in in games, which is like wild because I was just training and just like trying to be myself and, you know, be a part of the team still. And, um, oh, that I was like, that I was going to kill my baby, that this was an abortion. And like, I just didn't go to Planned Parenthood. And it was awful. Honestly, it was terrible reading those things about myself, because especially because I, I went through such like a traumatic experience with losing the baby and then like seeing all of that. Um, but then, you know, I, I come back 93 days later with a perfectly healthy baby. And I was like, yeah, take that. Because you can't do what I'm doing, can you? So I it blows my mind when people don't think about the fact that there's like a real person on the other side of the computer. Oh yeah, people people do not care. I don't think <laughs> care. And you think you know social media, you can just go on there and say whatever you want. And right. No, you know you're not ever going to say that to a person in real life. But I also am like, I would never like spend time and like go and like talk badly about someone or say something that I like, I would just never do that. And I just don't understand like how people can do that. But I mean, Hey, there's millions and millions of them. So uh, yeah, it it blows my mind that part. Yeah, I know there are millions and millions of them for sure. And so when you, when you show back up three months after having your daughter, do you feel, how does it feel? How does the body feel? Do you feel like a completely different? Oh, I'm 40 pounds heavier than my playing weight. I'm huge. My boobs are ginormous. I'm breastfeeding before the game at halftime and after because Rue never really took a bottle until like eight or nine months. It was wild. Would I do it over again? Absolutely not. I would have given my body time, but I am stubborn and I said I was going to do something and that's what I was going to do. Yeah. My body felt absolutely insane. Like, so you're like, so lax, right? Like your body is just like moving all over the place. I have no control of anything, but you know, I put it in my head that I was going to do that. And that was it. And that was it. And so did you have any regret or did you feel like it was the right decision for you? I wish that I would have taken time, but I'm happy that I I did it because that's what I said I was going to do. And I feel like that's very on brand with me. But yeah, I wish that I would have taken time, but I had I had put it in my head um, because of the loss of the baby that that I was going to come back this season. The pressure that kind of comes hand in hand with getting back on the field financially. Was there any incentive for you to get back to playing sooner? No, no, I I don't think like, luckily I I wasn't like, I didn't have to worry about like the financials of playing or not playing or or doing whatever. Um, I just like really just wanted to do it because I said that that's what I was going to do. And you mentioned the word financially, which makes me think about the equal pay agreements. Was it rewarding for you to be a part of making 
history. I know with the new contracts, we've got identical pay structures for appearances and tournament victories, revenue sharing, equitable distribution of World Cup prize money. I mean, this is a big deal and something that was in the works for just so, so long. Yes, I think it's rewarding to a point, but there's like so much more that needs to be done. I mean, you I'm sure you've seen everything that's come out, you know, with what's happened in the NWSL with, um, you know, the sexual abuse and just abuse in general. Um, And I think like that part also plays a huge role in what happens in not only women's soccer, but women's sports in general. You know, I've, I think you can ask anyone if, you know, they've ever seen something or if they've been a part of something that was wrong. And we all have the same answer and that's not okay. And that's, you know, having, having a daughter and I like, I, I make this joke because it's true. I don't care that she probably will never play because she'll never have to go through any of the the crap that we did. Um, and you hope that, that things get better, but it starts so, it starts so young. It starts, I mean, when I was 13, I was playing for an absolute pedophile and people knew that and nothing happened. And you say something and no one believes you. Um, and so I think that part has been has been even bigger, you know, than than the money issue is that what what is happening and what has happened in women's sports and women's soccer for so long. Um, but I'm I'm very happy that things have been like brought to light for sure. But we've been trying to bring things to light forever. Thank you for sharing that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's hard to think about how like that experience for you started at 13, right? And so you've been playing in the sport for so long. That's really only the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you, where do you hope that this conversation goes realistically? What do you think that these allegations coming to light will do? Do you believe that it's possible to find comprehensive change within the league? Yes, I do believe that it's possible, but I also think and I know that businesses and people will do anything to save themselves before they'll ever save any of us. And it has taken a lot of people to tell their story and a lot of people's stories come out after they're done playing. And that's not fair. And I also think that, I mean, there is red flags and we just let those red flags go. And then those coaches are able to continue and coach whoever, you know, and the same pattern happens. And it's just like, my hope is that everyone who knew anything and who didn't do anything about it is never around the sport ever again. Man, it is such like a a heavy convo, but to your point earlier, the fact that these conversations are happening and there is more of an open dialogue today than there was, let's say the day before that makes room for tomorrow, that Mm -hmm. conversation to continue and to hopefully shed light so that women in the future don't have to feel like they're playing and living in, you know, these shadows in this scary place. Totally. Yeah. I think that, I think people are now, you know, feeling a little more comfortable and confident that there is going to be change. Yeah. Um, But we will see. 
Speaking of comfortable and confident, playing these days again, two babes at home. I know you said, obviously, having to take off a little earlier than desired this season. But how does it feel to otherwise be back in the swing of things, to be a full-on working mom? Yeah, I love it. Um, I love being a working mom. That is who I am. That's probably always what I'm going to be. I think it's important for me specifically for my mental health to like do something that makes me me instead of just being a mom, um, which I love just being a mom, but (laughs) I also love, you know, to do what makes me happy outside of being a mom. And that that's, you know, playing soccer. Um, So I'm, yeah, I, I love it. I love every minute of it. Even the, even the hard parts. Yeah. You mentioned the buzzword mental health. Let's talk a little bit about what your self-care looks like, what it means for you to take care of you. What are the different components to that recipe? Yeah. I mean, I absolutely love spending time with my kids. I'm a single mom. I, you know, I, my kids are my, my world. I love watching Cassius play soccer. It, it brings me so much joy. Like I, I never thought that I would love something more than watching him score goals. I love it more than I love to score goals. Just watching him just find himself in, in the sport has been amazing. And I love the relationship that I get to see with the kids. I think that's really awesome. But, um, for me, I, you know, I, I like my alone time. I like doing things on my own. I like going to eat by myself. I like, like I'm, I've always been that way, um, pretty independent in that in that sense. But I also make sure that, you know, I stay, this is the thing, and I always say this to moms, like, and parents, period. I think that we have, like, less sleep because once I get the kids to bed, I'm like, okay, this is my time now. And, like, <laughs> when I'm up until 3 o'clock in the morning, like, scrolling, wondering why I'm tired when the kids come into my room at 5, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But um, yeah, I just I think like after the kids go to bed, like that's kind of my my time and I get to like, you know, watch what I want to watch or scroll. And yeah. Yeah. You mentioned originally kind of getting back into the game, being a quote unquote bigger version of yourself. I would be curious to know if you felt pressure to get back to your quote unquote playing weight. And what were the factors that played into how you got back to feeling more like yourself in your body, maybe your nutrition or your workouts or stuff like that? Um, Okay. So this is not true for everyone, but everyone's like, oh, just breastfeed. Uh, No, (laughs) my body (laughs) held on to all of my pregnancy weight as I was breastfeeding. So I did not lose weight until after I stopped breastfeeding, which was like nine months later. Um, And that was really hard for me because, you know, like my body is my job and like I feel ginormous. I feel and like I feel like a cow. I am basically a cow, (laughs) like (laughs) a milk producing cow. And so that was really hard for me. Um, But I also knew that, like, you know, this is what she needed. And I was I was able to do that. And I had a lot of friends who weren't able to do that and that they were so upset. And there was so, you know, there's so much pressure around breastfeeding and around doing all of these things that you're supposed to do. That was kind of a little a little mind game with myself that I would always have to tell myself, like, look, you are you'll get back to your your playing weight. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. 
Um, and then, of course, once I stopped breastfeeding, then, you know, everything kind of came into play. And it was, yeah, it was, I was able to get back to my my pre-pregnancy weight. And, yeah, and now I just, like, I, even now, like, I make sure that, like, nutrition is, is huge. And especially, like, as a, as a mom that, like, is very busy, like, I forget um, I, you know, I forget. So I always keep a perfect bar in my bag. Um, even the snack size ones for the kids, cause we're always on the go. Um, but I always have to make sure that I have something because I do get absolutely hangry, hangry. <laughs> and like it changes my entire mood. So, um, that is my thing now. <laughs> I totally understand. I I I don't want to use the word addiction because it's not okay, but I had such a thing for the coconut peanut butter perfect bars for yep. years. That's like right. that's my fave. Oh, yeah. oh my god. So yeah. good. I couldn't yeah. I used to be big into CrossFit. I couldn't uh-huh. leave the CrossFit gym without one. A hundred percent. Yeah. I literally always have them in my bag. Oh my gosh. Well, I love that you are, you know, thinking about your nutrition on the go and I would be remiss if I didn't double click. Um, I'll bite briefly. You did mention being a single mom and that Mm -hmm. kind of coming off of the heels of, I mean, it's so weird to say the heels of the pandemic being that we're still kind of in it now, but can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you to make that adjustment being at the time uh, a mother of two and also getting back into the game? Yeah. Um, yeah. The adjustment was, was wild because everything just stopped. Um, yeah. the world stopped and I was just like, okay, what do we do from here now? Um, but, and you, and like, remember like when the pandemic first happened, it was like terrifying to even go outside. Like we were all just like <laughs> locked in our house, like with, no idea what was happening in the world. And it was just so scary. Um, but I do feel like that year, like with, with my family, with Dom and and the kids, like the pandemic year was, was like, we were home, you know, it was the first time that like, we weren't traveling and we weren't doing all of these other things. And we had just moved into our house and 2020 was like, when we had that time, uh, just, at home and like trying to figure out what to do with, with the crazy kids. It was, it was really nice. The crazy kids. And now making time for yourself, scrolling until 3am. <laughs> yes. Anything else? Are you in on the the meditation breathwork train? Talk to us about other aspects of self-care here. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love going shopping. Uh, that is my <laughs> self-care. It's probably not good for me. But I love shopping. That is my thing. (laughs) That is. People say that meditation and breath work is good, but do they indulge in retail therapy? Yeah, it's retail therapy for me. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So talk to us about what excites you right now. There are a lot of things now. I mean, like I said, I find so much joy just like being outside with the kids and, you know, being in L.A. and being around my friends and having my family closer. um, Those are all things that like I absolutely love. Um, But I also like I love just kind of like getting to know myself again and like just like being in like just like being by myself and like being okay with that. Uh, I I think that's been really, really amazing. Um, And just being able to play soccer. Uh, I had a, I had a tough year um, in, in Orlando before I came here. So 
being able to, you know, unfortunately I got injured, but just being able to play um, for Angel City and have a club that really cares about their players um, has been has been a breath of fresh air for sure. How do you pick yourself up when things feel really tough? Like you said, that year was in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started going to therapy. I think that has been really helpful. Like I was never like a therapy person. I was always like, it's fine. Like I'll get over it. But like, I think like being able to like do a deep dive into like how you feel and like how to get out of these feelings or like how to, you know, make those feelings positive, um, I think has been really helpful for me. Um, and I think everyone should go to therapy, to be honest. <laughs> it, is, it, is so, it is so helpful. I won't even lie to you. When I get off of this recording in four minutes, that's exactly what yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah. No, I was late <laughs> because I came from therapy. So. Oh, wow. See, look at us sandwiching See? this with our prioritizing yeah. our mental health. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I love it. I love it. Well, someone comes to your Instagram page. They see a beautiful mama who also happens to be a soccer player. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Wow. I, I don't know. I see like someone really strong. Um, someone who's been through some shit for sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I see happiness. I see, um, I'm proud. I'm proud of myself. Um, I'm, I'm proud of the work that I've done. Um, I'm proud of my babies. I just, yeah, I think like I look in the mirror and, and I'm, I'm proud. I love that answer. Yeah. All right. Winding down here right now, you have an opportunity to give yourself a piece of advice. Let's say looking back during those tough times in Orlando, you have an opportunity now to look back on that time with the wisdom, the intel, the know-how you have now, what advice do you give yourself? That I did absolutely everything right. Um, That I stuck up for people. Yeah. And I had a voice to do so. And I'm really happy that I used that voice. Um, And sometimes you think that you're crazy because sometimes people don't believe you or you know, you're the only one or something's happening and nothing's coming out of it. But um, I think uh, doing the right thing always, um, no matter what. And I feel like that's that's what I did. To someone who maybe feels like they don't have that superpower, that ability to speak up, that ability to stand on their own two feet when times feel hard, what do you say to them? Even if you don't feel like you have a voice, you do. Someone will always be willing to listen. And I think that's that's been my biggest thing now being a veteran player is like, oh, I'm going to have your back no matter what. Like the young players coming in to like always feel like they can trust me um, and to always feel like you can talk because I know that that's, you know, that is such a big, big problem is that we feel like, oh, maybe I don't have the voice to do this. Um, and you know, I didn't always have the voice to do that, but I always told the truth. Um, and I always did what I felt was right. And, you know, it took a lot of years for sometimes those truths to come out, but, um, they eventually did. And I do feel like, like you feel crazy in the moment, but now I'm like, oh my goodness, like I did, I I did tell the truth and, and I was right. And, and those 
all all were the things and you know sometimes they just don't like the messenger and that's okay but i think being the messenger for anyone and and speaking up for yourself and and saying when something's not right even if even if you <laughs> you your voice is shaking you know i i think that is like the best advice that i have yeah yeah well thank you for using your voice it makes so many people are better for it and i appreciate you giving it to us today for hurdle how do the hurdlers follow along with you sydney how do they keep up with you give us your details yeah it's just easy it's just my name sydney larue um i have twitter and instagram and now i'm on tiktok i'm not very good at it <laughs> all right well i'm gonna go follow you over on tiktok <laughs> i'm over at emily body and at hurdle podcast another hurdle conquered catch you guys next time 